from Paul's letter to the Galatians. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all this morning, and I hope that you're having a very Merry Christmas. Uh, I imagine, and I've had conversations with several of you, that it's actually been a little bit tough this year because so many people have had a hard time gathering together with family members like you're used to. You know, because as much as many of our family members butt heads and is because many of them are that, um, they're still family, and you're still committed to one another. There's still this bond that you have being in the same household. And while there's no substitute for your earthly family, there is one family that supersedes it. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning out of Paul's text in Galatians, because as Christians, we are adopted into the household of God. And as Christians, we have God as our Father and one another as brothers and sisters. And so, three points, that's two, three, I can count, uh, three points for our text in Galatians. Uh, the first is the desire of our adoption by the Father. The second point is the status of our adoption by the Son, and the third is the experience of adoption by the Holy Spirit. So you can see we're hitting it pretty hard today, this idea of adoption into God's household. So point one, the desire of our adoption by the Father. You know, there's this concept that's been floating around, and it's been floating around for uh, decades now, that all of humanity is one family. Have you are you familiar with something like this? We're all one big family. Like, all of humanity, no matter um, creed, religion, no matter what, like, we're all one, part of one big family. And, you know, you can make some arguments for this, right? I mean, we are all people, right? We're all human beings. And, and there's this modern conception, right? Because without God, without God as a father, then what, what do we have but each other? You know, we like to believe that the world is a kind and caring place, but… but you know, as Father Rodriguez has mentioned several times, and, and this, I hate to be blunt about it, but the universe really doesn't care about us, does it? Right? It, it's cold, it's vast, it's dark. Have you ever watched an animals, right? Even nature can be a really brutal place. Have you ever watched an animal documentary? It's funny. On uh, Disney Plus, we have Disney Plus with our boys, and there's two dolphin shows, and sometimes I mix them up, and it's a real problem. The first one's called Dolphin Reef, and everybody's getting along fine, little echoes, you know, playing with his family. The other one is about the real life of a dolphin. A lot of things either attack or eat dolphins, and dolphins eat a lot of things. I'm sorry, boys. I make a mistake sometimes. But you see what I'm saying? Nature is a difficult place. It's a dark place. And so, if we're all one human family, at least we have each other. At least we can learn to get along, you know, as though we're all brothers and sisters without a father, without anyone to protect us or care for us or watch out for us or unite us. And to give this secular worldview some credit, without Jesus Christ, it would be right. That would be correct. You see, in the New Testament, and I don't want you to miss this, in the New Testament, every single reference to God as our Father applies only to whom? Christians. Did you know that? 
Every single reference except one only applies to Christians. The only one that doesn't is when uh, in Acts 17, Paul is making an appeal to non-Christians, and he's saying that we're all God's offspring. Now, that's not the same relational term as a father, right? A loving father just means that we all came or sourced from God in creation. The way that Paul's using it here is basically the same way that we would say Thomas Edison is the father of the light bulb, or Alexander Graham Bell is the father of the telephone, right? It's not a family bond. There's not affection. There's not a relationship there. It's just, bege- it's just a creation. There's no intimacy, and there's no real relationship. The only time intimacy and relationship is affection is used with God as our Father is for us Christians because we are adopted into that family. It's not ours by right. It's not ours by birth. And part of the reason for our adoption, part of the reason that we can enter into that family with God is because of the work that Christ has done for us. You know, before Christ came, and we've talked about this before, right? Darkness cannot enter into the presence of light. Holiness cannot abide sin. We could not get close to God. And I've seen this even in a heartbreaking way in what we've experienced with family members and loved ones who have contracted COVID-19 and been in ICU. And the, most, the closest we can get to them is looking at them through the door, right? Looking at them through the glass and praying for them. Without Jesus Christ, there's this distance between us and God. We cannot enter in. And so what was God to do? What was God to do? He desired us to be part of His family, desired to adopt us as sons, but we couldn't enter in. Well, let's look at our passage from Galatians. I'm just going to read this one part, and then we're going to roll with it. All right, so if you have your bulletins, I believe it's on page 7, Um, and I can go ahead and read it for you as well. This is what the text says. This is what Paul says about what God was doing for us. Now, before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. And catch this. Therefore, the law, the rules, the structures, the regulations was our disciplinarian until Christ came. God could not have us as members of His family, and so He gave us the law to protect us from ourselves. Does that make sense? You all follow me when I say that. You know, in ancient Greece and Rome, this is what would happen. The word there, by the way, is pedagogos for disciplinarian, pedagogos. Because in ancient Greece and Rome, wealthy parents would take their newborn babies, and they would give them under the care of a nanny. And the nanny would raise them until about the age of six, right? You all know the concept of wet nurse or nanny. The nanny would raise the child until about the age of six, at which point then the nanny would transfer the child to under the supervision of a pedagogos. Now, this was a disciplinarian that was charged with their socialization and preparation for adulthood. You all tracking with me? Well, these pedagogos, these disciplinarians, they were no Mary Poppins. You know, think more like, you know, little orphan Annie and cruel Miss Hannigan, you know what I'm talking about? Or think like Oliver Twist and the Artful Dodger. I mean, these were some strict, strict guardians. They were known for pulling ears, using whipping, caning, pinching, or any means necessary to accomplish their task. And that's what Paul says the law was for us. Do you ever feel the burden of the law as a disciplinarian to you? The law that God gave us was devoid of parental affection, but it was given to us for our protection. Two years ago on Christmas Day, uh, my wife and I took the kids up to Lake Mary to spend some time with family. And we're all gathered at our parents' house, and Gabe was about two years old at this time. 
And, you know, family can be chaotic, right? When you've got 18 people in a house and you're all throwing, you know, presents together and wrapping everything up. And, um, and we're kind of, you know, keeping our parental ear out for our child when we heard the worst sound that a parent could ever hear. Do you know what that is? Silence. Yep, somebody knows. Silence. Where's our boy? Where is he? Well, we go tearing around through the whole house, look out the front yard, and, and we see on the side door that leads up to the driveway up to the street that the door is open and left open. So I go tearing out that side door, I run up the driveway, and there's my little two-year-old son halfway up the driveway just wandering around looking at everything around him. No concept of the danger that he was in. So what do you think I did? I scooped him up, I ran into the house, and I caned him. No, I didn't do that. Um, I didn't do that. But I did. I put him in the house, and I, I, I brought him into the house, and we put that house on lockdown, right? Like sentries posted at every door, every possible lock combination put in there, because my son, being young and naive and wandering around, needed something to protect him. You see, the reason that, the, that God gave us the law as a guardian is in order to protect us from ourselves, because, and because He couldn't enter into a relationship with us, we needed something, because let's be honest, we are rebellious and we're naive, and we play with fire, and we do things that we know we should not do. The only problem was, because we continued to rebel against the law, it became a prison for us rather than a fence for protection, and rather than guide us, it condemned us because we failed to measure up. You know, in my household, I'm the spender and my wife is the saver. Does anybody have that dynamic in your house? You have to raise your hands about which one you are. But, you know, one of you is, is really financially sound and wise, and one of you likes to take that wisdom and, you know, that financial buildup and, and put it places that you want. Well, I'm the spender, and my wife is the saver. And it only took about two weeks into our marriage before that became very clear. And so we took this, um, this Christian financial class about how to handle your finances, and, you know, we put a little budget together and it took me about four minutes to realize that it was a prison. You know, I was like, wait a minute. What happened to all the freedom that I had? What about, what about all the things that I wanted to purchase? And I can tell you that that budget did a lot more condemning me than it did guiding me. And it wasn't the budget's fault. It's because I had a rebellious heart. And I was pushing against it and kicking against it. My heart was not in it. I was still thinking in terms of me and not what my family needed. You see, in the same way, the law is not enough to bring us into an intimate relationship with God and to curb our rebellious hearts. But some of us still live in our relationship with God as though it is based on the law. Does anybody ever think of God still primarily as your police officer, or God as your condemning judge, or God even as your prosecutor? If you think of God in those contexts and you're a Christian, you're still relating to Him through the lens of the law. And that's not enough for you. And it's not enough for Him either. Which brings us to our next point, the status of our adoption in the Son. God wasn't content to have us just live under the prison of the law and leave us in the hands of, an, of a guardian. So what He did, and you can look at our text, is God sent His Son, right? We talked about that in our gospel, to earth to bear the law on our behalf to redeem us who are under the law. He took on the burden of the law, took on the yoke of the law, so that we could be freed from that weight. The Greek word for adoption here is huidesia. I'm sure I butchered it, but you, won't, you don't know the difference. So I'm going to say it again, huidesia. 
And perhaps a better way of putting it is that we might receive, it's not just adoption as sons, it's we might receive full rights as sons and daughters under God. Full rights. You know, again, Paul's writing in a context of ancient Greeks and Rome, right? The, in ancient Greece and Rome, a wealthy man who didn't have an heir could adopt a son to inherit his estate. And this adopted son, it could be somebody from the street, this adopted son had all of the previous debts paid off, received a brand new identity and stature and wealth and dignity, and in a very real sense began an entirely new life. Adoption was, was, was an incredible, I mean, that was winning the lotto, right? That was winning the Powerball, was to be adopted into a wealthy family, to be a new person in that moment. And, and here was what was something especially privileged about adoption. Because while you could, in that world, you could actually sell off your natural-born children into indentured servitude to pay off your debts. Yeah, don't do that. Uh, but you could back then legally, right? You could sell off your adopted children to pay off debts. You could not do that with an, with an adopted child. That child was yours. The child wasn't going anywhere. That child's status was forever changed, and it could not be taken from that child. And as Paul explains in our text, that's what Jesus Christ was doing when He came to be born of a woman, born as a man, to bear our yoke and the burden of the law and the demands that it placed on us for moral perfection, to shoulder that weight and free us from the crushing weight of the law. Do you all hear me what I'm saying? You know, on Christmas Day this past year, Amy and the boys and I drove up with my family, and my dad is one of those guys who's always got like half a dozen projects going on. You know anybody like that? They've, they've always got, you know, some, some kind of project open. And when we go there, he's in the middle of building this playground for our boys to play on and building this playground for, for everybody to get there. And, you know, I get there before the project's done, and so he recruits us to come help out. Well, the part that we get to do is there's this gigantic, incredibly heavy beam with a crow's nest on top of it for the boys to get in. And our role, right, is to get under that beam and to hold it up, my dad and I, so my youngest brother could get up there in the playground and start drilling things in, right? Well, that thing is incredibly heavy, and I'm not strong. You can't tell because of this, you know, because of my chasuble, but, but I, I'm a skinny dude. So I'm trying to hold this thing up, and my dad's on the other side of it, and I'm shaking and sweating and, you know, trying to look big and bad, but like kind of crumbling, and my spine is getting all compacted. And um, also, I'm clearly whining about it. And, uh, you know, as I'm going through this thing, as I'm holding this crushing weight, of, you know, this, this weight of this beam up, I say, hey, Dad, do you think you could handle this for a second so I could shake my arms out? Yes, yeah, son, you can, you can take care of that. So, you know, I'm like, Dad, are you sure? This thing's crazy heavy. You know, you're, you're under it by yourself. Like, don't, don't you need my help? He says, no, no, take a break. So I put my arms down, and guess what? The beam doesn't move. The beam doesn't move. It doesn't drop even half an inch. My dad doesn't sweat an ounce more. And what I realized to my shame a couple days ago is that I was doing practically nothing in holding that beam up. And so, like a good son, I left him to the beam and went and played with my kids. No, I didn't do that, but I could have, and that's the point. That's the point. You know, that's exactly what Christ has done for us in taking on the law to Himself and fulfilling it for us as He took on that weight and He held it aloft so that we could be free to be adopted as His sons and daughters. That's what Paul is rejoicing about in our adoption. That's what Christ has done on our behalf. So Christians, 
why do we still think of God in terms of the law? Why do we still operate in terms of being under this crushing weight or burden of moral perfection that we have to live up to in order to have a relationship with Him? We have that exactly backwards. Yes, we strive for righteousness, but not in order to earn that adoption, but in order to live into it. And I'm going to wrap up with this. Our third and final point, the experience of our adoption through the Holy Spirit. I think so many of us forget that as Christians we have received the Holy Spirit into our hearts who is ever-present with us, working on our hearts, pulling us to the Lord, and engaging in everything that, we are, uh, that God has endeavored us to do. You know, we're not alone, and we're never alone. That's what it means to be in the household of God. That's part of that adoption. It is the Holy Spirit that brings us forward to connect with God. What does our passage say? It is the spirit of adoption with us through which we cry, Abba, Father. It's the spirit that draws our heart closer to God to engage with Him in a relationship. And so I would encourage you, I would encourage you, as we continue throughout the Christmas season, because we've still got some days left, right? As we continue throughout the Christmas season, I would encourage you to engage with the Holy Spirit that, it was with, that is within you. Seek to connect with God on a relationship on a relational level because you are privileged to have that status of adoption. And it is God who works in, on, and through you to experience the fullness of Himself, knowing that you are no longer strangers or isolated from Him, but you are part of His family. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for sending Your Son to bear the burdens that we could not, the burdens that crushed us, to free us to be adopted as members of Your family in the household of God. I pray that by Your Spirit we would live into that experience, that we would reframe the way that we think about You and engage with You, and that You would continue to pull us further on and further in to experience the fullness of what it means to be a part of Your family as beloved sons and daughters. In your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.